0: You're doing blog posts, case studies, ads, conferences, and more. And now you need to connect it to a business outcome, to the revenue that your business actually made. With a complex sales cycle, that's not an easy task. Lars Grunegort faced that challenge a few years ago at Trustpilot, and he started DreamData to solve that problem for many other B2B SaaS businesses. Welcome back to the SaaS Open Mic by Chartmogul. I'm your host, Bianca Wilk. Today, I speak with Lars, the CEO of DreamData, about the do's and don'ts of revenue attribution. And fun fact, Dream Data completely abandoned using Google Analytics for their business. Tune in to find out why. Here's my conversation with Lars. So Lars, I'm very excited for our conversation today. Welcome to the SaaS Open Mic.
1: Hey, thanks, Bianca. It's super great to be here. I'm looking really forward to this.
0: Great. So before we get started with our main topic, which is revenue attribution, I'd like to ask you about... Just your journey as a founder. Could you tell us how you became a founder and how Dream Data came to be?
1: Totally. Yeah. I think our founding, like we're three founders of the company. The founding story is probably similar to a lot of other companies' founding stories. So you, you work somewhere and you experience a problem, and then you discover that that problem is really solved. And you think, hey, that could be a great product. That's exactly what happened for us, that we started out in working at Trustpilot. Growth stage company in Copenhagen, and we were running two of the founders. We were running product and technology together there, and we had a lot of you could say product-led growth, you'd call it, but we didn't really know the impact of of the product on revenue. We had lots of data, but it was not connected from the product data directly to the revenue data, which was that was in our CRM and in our subscription system. And that problem, like we discovered, it was not just about product; it was also about customer success. It was, of course, about marketing. So lots of people were doing things in the go-to-market that was impacting revenue, but they didn't know if it actually worked or what worked and what didn't work. And that was how we sort of came across this problem. We solved it inside of Trustpilot and then decided to go and create a company around this. And then we, you, know, you build your first sort of prototype product, which is some, uh, a lot of duct tape and some standard products and some slides, and then you take it out and you try it, try to sell it to see if, if there is any, does anybody actually want this thing that you think is so awesome? And one of the first people we took it to was, a, who is the third co-founder and we were, he was running marketing at another growth stage company in Copenhagen. And he was like, he really product, maybe not the duct tape version, but the vision of the product, he bought into that completely. And then he joined the company. And that's really the founding story of the company.
0: That's a great overview already. So, like, you felt the pain at TrustPilot. You spent a lot of time solving it. Decided to solve it for many other B two B SaaS founders. I think that's that's definitely a textbook founder journey. It's awesome. Yeah. So maybe let's get the basics out of the way so we're all on the same page. What is revenue attribution?
1: Yeah. So so revenue attribution for us is the process of connecting, say tactical things you do in the business, like you're buying ads or you're giving away product or you're creating content. So you've got some tactical initiatives and then you have people using it, they're users. So you track them and then you connect that with businesses because you're a B2B SaaS. So you're not selling to individual users, you're selling to businesses. So you connect the users to businesses and then finally you connect the business to the business outcome, which is typically like revenue in some form maybe earlier like you created a pipeline or maybe a later like you renewed the customer or maybe even later the customer churned or you are the customer so any business outcome so that's sort of the whole thing that we're trying to solve and revenue attribution is really linking all those data points together so you can say well we made this money where did it come from or i did this thing did any revenue come from it later on does it make sense
0: Definitely, definitely. So it's, it's basically about matching a business outcome to a specific, to specific activities, because it's, it's not just one activity, right? It's not about matching an ad to a sale later on. It's not all linear, right?
1: We try to be very holistic in our approach. And I think in general, so we take the product of revenue attribution to market, and it's a, it's a marketable product because people out there have bought it before. It's a category that exists. So there is demand in the category, which makes it a nice product to market. But underneath it, what we would say, what we really care about is the data layer that enables you to do revenue attribution, because you've got, imagine like if you have a good data analyst and you have great data, doing revenue attribution is super simple. You can do it in like a couple of hours maybe a couple of days, depending on how complicated you want to do it. And if you have a great data scientist, you can do machine learning attribution in a couple of days as well. So it's not that revenue attribution as such is hard. It's the data part that's hard. Like the reason we couldn't do it at Trustpilot wasn't because, you know, it was a project that ended up taking close to a year to solve. And that wasn't because we couldn't do a simple like algorithm for attribution. It was because we didn't. The matching up of the data, cleaning it up, connecting it, Basically creating that data foundation you need for it, that was what took time. And that for us is the sort of strategic thing in our life. The strategic element of a product is having that data platform that enables attribution, but also enables many, many other things that you'd like to do, like and many other applications of that data.
0: I think we can relate to that a lot at ChartMogul. I think we did basically something similar, but with SaaS metrics. And it's also about like cleaning data and 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 presenting it, and also segmenting it later on. And the more data-based decisions you can make using your data, whether revenue or subscription data, the better, right?
1: Totally. And I think there are. I think in TrustPilot, we met some of the sort of very like, hairy problems that most SaaS companies are struggling with: segmentation. How do I segment by revenue and find customers that are actually good for revenue, good for retention, et cetera. We couldn't do that at Trustpilot because we didn't have the data. Churn prediction. You want to do churn prediction is again, it's not, it's not that hard, like plenty of algorithms out there, for doing it, but if you don't have the data, it's super hard to know who's going to churn, who's not going to churn. What can I do to prevent churn? Same. It's actually the same data you need. And a lot of say, automations you want to do, like I want to take everybody that's in my pipeline who tried my product and I want to tar- like haven't bought the product yet, and then I want to retarget them on LinkedIn, something like we like to do, but the problem is not buying the ad on LinkedIn, it's figuring out like who are these people actually That's a data problem. so totally there's a lot of similarity there
0: that's actually that was actually going to be my next question because. Yeah, the majority of folks listening to this podcast are B2B SaaS founders, execs, SaaS operators. And in your work, you must have spoken to many SaaS leaders as well, trying to solve their own unique challenges about revenue attribution. Could you tell us a little bit more about their typical challenges that you see right now? And if they're maybe like the, still the same challenges that you were facing back in the day at Trustpilot, or are they different now?
1: I mean, there are many, many challenges, but in this space, it's pretty much the same. We exclusively sell to SaaS companies or tech-enabled companies with some similarity. We have some fintechs as well, but typically they have a lot of similarity with the SaaS business. But the problem is the same. And I think the core of this is this data problem, and it's a result of... When you're a B2B, you're selling to accounts that are represented by many people. And then these people, when you interact with them, they crisscross in and out of all your different point systems in your go to market. So they're in your CRM, your marketing automation, they're in your tracking, they're in your ads, like everywhere. And this like set of multiple data silos in your company, getting all the data out and connecting it in a meaningful way is just such a huge problem and challenge that it remains unsolved for, for pretty much all SaaS businesses out there. And that's even in, because they, there has been a lot of, say, evolution in the tools that you can get to solve this problem in terms of infrastructure products like data stack, like a great data warehouse, an ETL tool to move data in, a great tracking product like Segment, maybe your Looker or your Tableau or some BI tool, and you've got great tools for doing a of the data process. But that whole set of infrastructure products, the problem is that they don't really give you any business value unless you add a very hard-to-get component, which is a set of very, very good data engineers and data scientists and data analysts. And they are just insanely hard to hire, and they are getting harder to hire. And then for this particular problem we're solving, for us, it's our business It's our product, so we can hire great people for it. They like working on the product. But if you are in another business of, say, selling like logistics software or something, the great data people, they want to solve logistics problems. They definitely don't want to be cleaning up horrible business data. That's the last thing they want to do. And if you ask them to do it, they'll leave. right? So that's the challenge is that you have all these great infrastructure products, but to actually get to a meaningful result, You need some people that are very hard to get to. So I think the challenge is the same. Even if you can say the tools for solving it, they have evolved a lot. I think we're benefiting from that because we're using all these tools to build our product. So we love it. And I would also say our customers also benefit from these infrastructure tools because the end result of our product is both, say, like directly actionable analysis, but it's also just data. So we just give people the data and then to sort of bypass this whole process of putting the data together. And now you can, now you can look at it in Looker without spending that year of like, terrible work that we did at Trustpilot to solve this, way, right? Yeah.
0: You just basically described that eternal buy versus build conundrum.
1: Totally, totally. It is very much buy versus build. And then especially, I think, if you're looking into buy versus build, where, the, where you're building something complicated, one is like getting the people for it, and Well, there's a lot of know-how that goes into building something. If you don't have it, you can't actually be sure that you're going to like, it's not like you're sure what you're going to get at the end because you're doing like a one-year build process. It might end up not working or not being what you expected. So I think it is, it is buy versus build totally.
0: But if let's say a founder or a team decides, okay, we're going to do it in-house. Is there any like advice you would give them to like, just remember this?
1: I think what we realized was, this is a very annoying thing to solve but it's quite similar from business to business which means that it's a perfect sort of problem for a product because you know it's a, it's a product thing like you, a lot of people can use the same thing it's hard to build buy a product if you're gonna build it then I think there isn't really a lot to do apart from sort of getting cracking and like you need to buy those infrastructure products you need to sort of one of the things people sometimes, leave out is tracking. So you need to buy a tracking component. I think that's very important that you have to buy something like segment or Rudderstack stack or snowplow to bring in tracking data because otherwise it's not going to work. So you need tracking data on your website from your product If you're doing PLG, especially you need tracking data from your product. And a lot of people bypass that because tracking data is super annoying to work with, but you need to do that. Otherwise, it's not going to be a solution that really does anything for you. And then, yeah, it's you buy an ETL product, like 5Trend is a great one. Bring the data in, start figuring out the scheme. It's just like, it's a lot of work. I don't have any advice except don't do it. <laughs> I mean, uh, we, we're quite open about it. We did sort of, we have, a, I, I think, a lot of build versus buy, like if that is your main pitch you have an article about how to build it. Like we have a great article on a blog post. like, you want to do this yourself? This is what you have to do. And it just, if you read it, you're like, okay, I don't want to do this.
0: But yeah, let's, let's talk about the other option, which is buy. When deciding to buy, what are the things to look at, to consider, to think about?
1: Yeah, I think like the fundamental thing is, are you a B2B or are you a B2C company? And I think if you're a B2C company, there are many options out there we are strictly dealing with B2B SaaS companies. I'm not super familiar with the market on the B2C side, but there's a lot there. And actually I would say, if you're B2C, the challenges are different. They're mainly about sort of, if you're doing mobile, for instance, there's a lot of problems around sort of bridging mobile, like from an app to a browser and many, but I'm not super familiar with that, but that's a different market. So if you're B2B, I think the way we see the market, there isn't a lot of products out there that does what we do. So if you are sort of stuck with either building it yourself and, or buying something like us. I would look at like, does it support the account level? Does it understand that you're not dealing with individual people, you're dealing with businesses? So is it like B2B specific? Does it include tracking data? So, does it cover all your needs in terms of tracking your website, tracking in your application? And can it bring that into the same data model? I think that's very important. Then, of course, it has to connect also the business outcomes. So, that's typically the CRM pipelines, like your sales pipeline for sure, your renewal pipeline. Can it bring in that data and connect it with everything else? And then I would say make sure that you, even if a pro, like our product has a nice user interface, but at some point you will want to use this data for other things. You will want to do your own analysis in your own BI tool, or you will want to action the data somehow. So you want to make sure that you get the data. You want access to the data models in your data warehouse where your team can now work with it and do things that Dream Data didn't think about or you know, didn't get around to doing. You don't want to be dependent on somebody's roadmap there. You want the data so you can work with it yourself. I think that's very important. And then you want also a way to get out of the deal. Let's say you want to be able to take your data and leave. I think that's also important.
0: Absolutely. Switching gears for a moment. So in our industry, everyone relies on Google Analytics for attribution data, actually. And that's often like the first place people check. I certainly know that I'm like it's an automatic reaction for me when I want to check the you know the performance of marketing activities. But I do know that you recently moved away from Google Analytics completely. Why is that?
1: We are a B two B company, so a lot of the challenges we solve for other companies, we have the same. We have complex buying cycles, where like we'll talk to somebody in the marketing team, somebody in the ops team, somebody in the legal team. That's the minimum. And typically some senior person. So our deals are complex. So we will engage with multiple people. And the time that it takes for us to go from somebody discovering that we exist and then to just bring into a sales plan like a demo request or a free sign up for a product, that's like a three month cycle. And it hap- and that three month cycle is not one person, it's multiple people. And if I was looking at that in Google Analytics, I would see one person. And also, because of the limitations in Google's tracking, you'd probably only see about 30 days back. So that's a problem because I want to see those 90 days. And that's on average. So some is longer. Some have like many more months. But I want to see as much of that as possible. I'm never going to be able to see all of it because something is lost. It's not joined correctly because, you know, they switched computer or deleted their cookies or reinstalled it, or they just met somebody at a conference and it was never registered. So there are many ways that data is not there, but all the data that exists and can't be there, you want that in that model. And I think that's the fundamental problem about Google, Ads, like Google Analytics is that it's not account-based and then the other end, I would say is, it depends on your business, but we don't do any online transactions on sales. It, we will bring people into a pipeline, and then there'll be either you stay on a free product or you're up, you're sold into the paid product by a salesperson, sales rep. So there is an inside sales team at our end that engages with the customer, and then when the deal is closed, it happens in the CRM system. So the record that says that we did a business transaction with a company that's in the CRM system and bringing that data back in Google analytics. So I can look at that. It's just not, and it's not meaningful and it's typically not possible. So I think that's fundamentally, so the reason for sort of going away from Google is because we don't think it's adequate to measure the success of the things we do. There are also other reasons like, uh, there's like uh, privacy concerns at the moment around Google Analytics, which I think will be resolved with like Privacy Shield that's coming. Like, but for me, it's more the business side of things that I'm concerned about. Does it make sense?
0: Yes, absolutely. And and you do have a way to replace it because I I think many companies just stick with Google Analytics because like it's well, it's what exists, right? But if you have a better way of uh, of tracking not just like individual visits but like accounts, like you say,
1: yeah. Exactly. I think what we're doing at the moment, because we have to build the product we have, we actually have built up a lot of infrastructure. And one of the things that we always were annoyed about in this world of B2B SaaS was that Google Analytics didn't have this account concept. And I think what we're looking at now is if we can sort of, we have a free product, but that's sort of a free product for say startups and smaller companies. And then you'd be upsold if you're a grower to a bigger company. But uh, from a business perspective, it's not the great way of setting up your sort of product led growth because basically we can only upsell somebody if they grow. So from a product led growth perspective, we of course want sort of a more sort of a vertical product that we can bring people into a paid product. And one of the things that we're thinking about doing is taking just the tracking part of our product out. And then the dashboarding part that sort of relates to tracking. And then we'll be able to offer sort of a bit like a Google Analytics for B2B. And we'll try to offer that as a free product. That's something we're working on now. And I think that that could be an alternative to Google Analytics. It's not one right now, but it, I think we'll be coming out with this late this quarter or early next quarter. But it is a problem. And I use many different products for looking at tracking data from marketing and product websites. And in general, the sort of account level can't start very strong or doesn't exist in them.
0: Lars, I have one last question for you. A little bit controversial, maybe. What do you think when you hear opinions like you cannot measure everything?
1: I think that people are absolutely right. And I think I'm glad you can't measure everything. Because if you could, like, that would not be nice. For me, I think there are two things. like whatever you can measure, you should measure. I think that's a fundamental thing. So if you can collect data and look at it and use it for making decisions, you should. And then I think another thing, which is a bit people miss out there is, well, once you collect this data and you have it in a usable format, then it's also the foundation for doing a lot of things you'd like to do, like personalization, automations, targeted ad buying. So even if like... When you look at your data, you have to understand it's not complete because it won't be, especially like everything about the buyer journey. There are many things you can't measure. Like Nobody's hopefully going to record my conversation with somebody in the supermarket or at a conference and analyze that. I don't want that. I don't like the idea. So there's going to be a lot that's not there. But let's say the fact that I met you at the conference or whatever other interaction, Like the more you can stitch that data into the customer journey data you have, the better you can do a lot of other things you'd like to do. And say, for instance, say like churn prediction based on observed behaviors. Well, that is what it is. It's churn prediction based on observed behaviors. Well, you just try to create a machine learning model that looks at observed behaviors and predict churn. And of course, it's not all behaviors you observe, but if it works, it works. If it improves your business, it does, and then you should do it. So I totally agree. You you can not measure everything. That's
0: good.
1: And I'm glad you can.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. I do agree as well. Lars, this has been a very, very insightful conversation today. Is there anything you'd like to add before we wrap up?
1: No, I think it's been a great conversation. And and thanks for having me on the podcast. I really enjoyed it.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for, for joining us. I look forward to seeing what's next for Dream Data. This was the SaaS Open Mic Podcast by ChartMogul, where we talk to SaaS leaders about the inner workings of growing a business, the daily challenges, strategic moves, inspiration, and mistakes made along the way. The best teams in SaaS use ChartMogul to measure, understand, and grow their recurring revenue. Head over to ChartMogul.com for more content like this and to try the leading subscription analytics platform. That's ChartMogul.com.